Hey, welcome to a special edition of the Falkirk Center podcast here on the campus of Liberty University, where Christ is King, church is essential, and freedom is everything. And I'm joined today by none other than senior fellow with Falkirk Center, Eric Metaxas. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Eric, I'm, I'm so thrilled and so honored. Tomorrow we have the Get Louder Faith Summit, Fighting for the Soul of America. You have been somebody who's been very outspoken about your, obviously about your faith, um, but also about Christian cultural political engagement. That is, that is a place you've lived in for a while now. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't want to live there. I mean, if you talked to me 15 years ago, I, I would have never thought that uh, that would happen. But I think sometimes uh, the Lord pushes us in certain directions or sometimes history pushes us in certain directions. You think of Wilberforce. I mean, if, uh, if he hadn't been born when he was, uh, he could have had a whole different life. But when you have an evil, like mm. the slave trade, in your face, yeah. you, probably you're going to feel an obligation to do something about it. Same thing with Bonhoeffer. You know, if Hitler hadn't risen to power, he could have had a very peaceful life teaching theology. In my case, I feel like um, Americans have increasingly in my lifetime, but very dramatically in, in the last decade or so, lost a sense of what it means to be American, this extraordinary privilege that mm -hmm. we have to be genuinely self-governing and free and the tradition of freedom that we have. And I think because we have ceased to teach it roughly since the 60s, yeah. uh, it has had a profoundly corrosive effect. We're dealing with it right now and we have to face it. It's a, very, it's a serious crisis uh, as a believer I am hugely hopeful, but there are times when you really have to fight, and this is one of those times. Yeah. You know, it's amazing with moments of great challenge, great opposition, trying times, tribulation. It's also moments of great opportunity. And when I look at this younger generation, um, it, this is kind of scary. There's a, there's a statistic that's out there, and I'm not exactly sure how the polling information works, but it was something like greater than 50% of evangelical, claiming to be evangelical, professing Christians, yeah. Uh, do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, yeah. right? I mean, that is like, it, like that's an indictment on the modern church, right? When you well, think it's about, also an absurdity. It's like saying, yeah. you know, 50% of pacifists carry a gun and shoot people in the head weekly. <laughs> right. Like, it becomes completely meaningless. Yeah. Uh, how, how do you even define, if you don't define Christian as believing that, there's no such thing as being a Christian. I mean, yeah. that's an absurdity. What it really is, is cultural Christianity. That's right. the issue. It has become principally cultural, mm -hmm. and the actual living out of the faith has gone away. And that is sincerely tragic. Absolutely. And so you see the challenge of, of literacy, biblical literacy, and also as you identify what it is to be an American, young people are faced with a host of challenges. They don't know, especially uh, Christians, they don't know who they are, where they come from, common story. Uh, they don't know how to thread uh, the gospel into everyday life. So there's difficulty in terms of uh, right. having a robust sort of theology yeah. of life and living and vocation. And you do that really well. Part of how you, these biographical tales that you have uh, delved in for, for a number of years now, you have taken the faith of extraordinary people, men and women, um, and have demonstrated how it was that foundation mm -hmm. that brought them into yeah. public life. Yeah. And, and, and without that, yeah. uh, you would have nothing. Um, I, I would say so. I mean, look, look at the story of Wilberforce, okay? When you yeah. hear, there, there are a lot of people today 
who seem to think maybe in reaction uh, to the moral majority or in reaction to the culture wars, they kind of think like, you know what, I'm going to kind of privatize my faith. I want to be cool and I don't want to get into that stuff. Yeah. And you think, okay, that's nice, but the fact is you don't really have a choice. In Wilberforce's day, um, he saw something so horrific hmm. uh, and he knew that he had the power to do something about it or at least the power to, to try to do something about it. Yeah. So when you look at that, you see a man who, because of his faith, worked his tail off for decades on behalf of total strangers mm. because God compelled him mm. to do the right thing. His faith was not private. And so people who say like, well, my faith is my thing, and I think to myself, well, your faith is not given to you for you. If you are blessed with faith, with money, with talent, with anything that God has blessed you with, especially your faith, he's blessed you to be a blessing, period. Otherwise, you know, it's not going to go well for you. You do not want to, uh, to, to waste whatever God's given you on yourself. It will rot. It will, it will spoil. It will be bad. So Wilberforce understood that he has an obligation to do something, and so he brings about not just the end of the slave trade legally and politically, but a revolution of what they called manners, of the culture. He said, I want to make goodness fashionable. And what we have to see as believers is that the poor are suffering. In other words, if, if you're living in a, you know, upper middle class world and everything seems fine and whatever, it's not fine for most people. Most people are affected by a vulgar, corroded culture. You need to care about them. Yeah. Like maybe it's, it's, it's fine for you, but you have to think about them and you have to understand that God gives us a responsibility to care for them in, in how we vote, in whatever it is that we do. So there's no way you can get away from that. And I look at these examples from history. Wilberforce's faith led him yeah. to do something that no one had done mm. and he absolutely changed the world. And, and, and the whole 19th century is filled with, you know, from soup kitchens to, I mean, every kind of yeah. thing that believers did, didn't have to do, Hospitals, but finally understood, yeah. right. I need to do this. This is right. This mm. is good. It's called a social conscience, right? Yes. Really didn't exist before him. Totally. And I thought, how is it that we've become so secularized that most of the world doesn't even know that the concept of a, secu of, of a social conscience comes from the gospel? Mm. Like, where was the social conscience in Europe before Wilberforce and the evangelicals of that day? It basically didn't exist. That is an insanely wild idea, right? Mm -hmm. You know, then you get to Bonhoeffer and you think, well, what if Bonhoeffer just said, you know what, uh, the Jews are on their own. I mean, I can't be bothered with that. I'm just going to do my thing, mm. right? He understood no. I have an obligation, I must to obey God, I have to speak on behalf of those who can't speak, I have to do whatever I can to help these people suffering horribly. You, you can't live a life of joy and purpose if you shrink from what God has put in front of you. And when God has, has blessed you, every American, I would argue, is blessed by dint of being an American, by being free. We can say what we like here. Every believer is blessed with the knowledge that there's a God who loves us and the whole story of the scripture and the story of salvation. And so we have an obligation to do something about it. And I, you know, have seen in the last 15 or so years, a lot of people 
say that they're Christians, but kind of shrink from that. And I thought, wow, that's, mm. that's bad. First of all, it's going to hurt people. I mean, it'll hurt yeah. the people themselves, but it's going to hurt the whole culture. The gospel needs to be not just proclaimed, but lived out yes. in every way uh, possible. But again, you know, if you talked to me a number of years ago, I, I, I never dreamt that I would be talking about this, but it's because of these historical figures mm -hmm. that I ended up talking about it. Absolutely. So I'm going I'm to do something here. Juxtaposition. If you look at what Wilberforce was doing, real injustices, mm. not perceived, real injustices. So you're talking about an actual slave trade. You're talking about uh, people in, made in the image of God, men, women, and children uh, making that transatlantic journey, many of them dying, being shoved in like cattle, right? Treating, treated uh, less than human, like, like, uh, like animals. Uh, he was trying to put an end to that. If you look at, um, you know, uh, Bonhoeffer, uh, the extermination, uh, Goebbels and the SS and Hitler, the extermination of over six million made in his image, um, where he was trying to put an end uh, to, you know, yeah. the suffering that was taking yeah. place. But you look at the modern paradigm. Yeah. People use all kinds of, of expressions to talk about injustice or social justice or creating movements. Yeah. Today's movement is very different uh, than what these men were dealing with, men and women were dealing with. Yeah. Not perceived injustices, but real injustices. Today, uh, in America, the, the, the culture has been gaslit. You're seeing cultural Marxism. I think most of it is just tremendously confused. I mean, I think that the, I, if people would spend time uh, in, you know, God forbid you go to North Korea, but, but, but go talk to, talk to some people involved in the house churches in China. Talk to the people who are literally being killed or targeted for killing in Sudan or these places. You, you realize that we have become so incredibly insulated from demonic suffering yeah. that we're almost looking for meaning, uh, you know, in, in things that it, it really, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me sometimes of when people uh, spend tons of money on their pets. And yeah. I, think, I think, you know what, there's a lot of kids that don't have anybody to tell them I love you today. Yeah. Like, I, I you know, I, it's, it's an issue of perspective. There is such actual suffering going on. I think that when you confront real suffering, uh, it, it changes your perspective on everything, on yourself. And, and so I think um, dealing with the persecuted church, that's one classic way of, of understanding God, what God sees. Yes. What does God see when there are people all around the world being tortured and killed and persecuted horribly for their faith? I mean, China, number one. The yeah. number of believers right. suffering horribly while we have our little conversation, right. we should be up in arms. Yeah. We should be doing everything we can to wake the world up to those injustices and not forget Christians, Uyghur Muslims who are being put in concentration camps, who are being, I mean, this sounds like I'm making it up. I've had people no, on my radio real. show it's talking about this. Yeah. People being murdered uh, in their 20s, because that's the healthy age, for their organs. And the Communist Party knows they can make 500,000 American dollars yeah. for body parts from a human being that they designate as an enemy of the state, and we're gonna execute you. Mm. Like, this is the kind of stuff that is happening now. If we're not talking about that, what are we talking about? Mm. Uh, if we're doing business 
with China mm -hmm. and the NBA is looking to make billions in China and Nike and other companies. We as the church are to be the conscience right. of the culture. We have to cry out for those people and we have to wake everyone up in the same way that Wilberforce did and say, hey, hey folks, right. I think you're missing something. You don't want to miss this. You need to be a part of the solution to this. That's totally. the role of the church. Yeah. No, it's, it's excellently put. I mean, by the way, that example of the Uyghur population, what China is doing and their social credit system and everything else to suppress people. The church uh, in China is estimated well over 100 million people. Uh, when you think about a, a nation as large as 1.4 billion, uh, that it's just... It, it's a scale the likes of which we can't even comprehend. I mean, really. And they're using technology um, yes. that in many cases we gave them right. or sold them. Mm. How, I mean, what would you say to the company that sold the ovens to the Nazis? Would you say, well, somebody was going to do it. You made a profit. That's cool. You wouldn't <sighs> yeah. say that. No. Um, and also, I think we have to be really clear. When Christians are speaking about injustice, it's never about injustice just to Christians. I mean... Injustice is injustice. If you're made in the image of God, as mm. the Uyghur Muslims are, yes. they are entitled, just as the Jews were in Germany, uh, to be talked about and fought for by the Christians mm. because we stand for what is right. We're not, it's not about self-interest. It's about other interest. And yeah. I think we have to also be really clear about that. Yeah. It's interesting, though, when you think of NBA for-profit, you think of Nike for-profit, you think of uh, the Ford Foundation, which is a big uh, funder, backer of Black, uh, Black Lives Matter Incorporated. I want to be very, very clear uh, that it is an organization with a message, with a platform, with an agenda that is targeting the nuclear family, uh, Western, uh, Western it values. It is a fundamentally yes. anti-Christian, anti-American, and I would argue anti-black yeah. organization. It is a Marxist atheist organization mm. that has hijacked our ignorance mm. and uh, forced people to get on board with the organization because they pretend that they're about black lives mattering. I don't know anybody who doesn't believe black lives matter, but if you ever give a yeah. penny or a cent to the organization and that movement, mm. you are participating in evil specifically against blacks. In case you actually care about blacks, you're participating in evil against them. Yeah, black lives do not matter to the Black Lives Matter Incorporated. I, that, that is, and that's, that's yeah. what makes it so demonic and cynical. Like, mm. wow, yeah. they are, you, you talk about gaslighting. I mean, it's a yeah. stunning, stunning thing that they have done. And the, and the cowardice of American corporations, that to me is the headline. In other words, mm. there was a day when American corporations stood uh, up for patriotic values and God and country and that kind of thing. The idea that the heads of these organizations have zero courage to take on something that might make them a little po unpopular for 10 minutes or something, they are going to be judged by that. And I would say that, you know, consumers need to judge them for that because there's, there is no excuse. You're causing suffering. You're making billions of dollars. You, you need to have a social conscience, but an actual social conscience. You need to care about virtue, not virtue signaling. Most of them are not doing that. So we were talking off camera, and this is something I want to come back to because uh, you nail it on the head. There is a virtue, virtue signaling is, is a virtue that is bereft of, of the real thing. It, it's, not, um, it's not a conscience that's actually formed by 
truth, it, it's a conscience that's crowdsourced. It's a conscience where right. everybody else, like, what's popular? Let me parrot what's popular. I'm going to say that. It's the French Revolution. Yes. It's the Chinese uh, cultural revolution. It's mm. out of the pit of hell. Mm. It leads to violence. And most people don't know that history. We need to learn that history mm. because we're repeating that history. The American Revolution is diametrically opposed to the French Revolution. Right. So historically, you have the, the American Revolution that came right after the Great Awakening, right after. It happens, it's a singular moment. It, it, it should have failed, it succeeded. And then within a decade of that, you know, you, all of a sudden you have the storming of the Bastille, um, you have the Rousseau and, and uh, the well, Reign they, of they Terror. They were fundamentally yeah. um, anti-clerical, right? right? In other words, when I say anti-clerical, they were atheistic, but it was because the, the church in Europe was allied with government power and oppression. Totally. Mm -hmm. In this country, and this is Tocqueville when he comes here 50 years later, he's like, this is amazing. America mm. works, and the, the churches and faith work with liberty. They're not at odds. Why are they at odds, and have they been at odds in France? And he examines it, mm. and it gets to this idea that it was a completely different kind of freedom and liberty, number one, completely different kind of faith. In other mm -hmm. words, when, when the faith is just, you know, essentially a fake faith, it's just a big, powerful organization allied with uh, the monarchy, People uh, reject it, or people see it as part of the oppression. In America, it was just the opposite. It was free. It was faith that was not compelled by the government, and that's why you know you get the famous idea of Jefferson's uh, separation of church and state. It was to protect the churches from the power of the state. Mm. When you understand the beauty of how that works, you realize that's why things have functioned for all this time, and that is why things are finally beginning to break down you have a, a state and a government that has begun to push uh, in terms of faith. It, it's kind of like putting your fingers on the scale when it comes to like, we're gonna pick that corporation right. and we're gonna let that corporation die. You realize, wait a minute, no, 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 no. In America, you're supposed to have a free market of ideas, free market of faith, free market, where you, the government must keep their hands off of that stuff, right? Mm. But the government, uh, has now begun to do that, and they've taken. Uh, let, let's just say um, whether it's the you know the definition of marriage or the definition of the human person, or you know basic stuff, uh, whether it touches on abortion or transgender, whatever it is. The, the point is that these are ultimate questions. They're fundamentally religious questions. They're faith questions. And so once the government says we're siding with this view yeah. against this view, it is no different than if they say. We're going to pick uh, Apple over Microsoft. We're going to pick, you know, Ford over whoever. We're going to. We are now entering the world where the government is taking over in precisely the way the founders fought against. Yeah. Big, big, big inflection point in our history right now. Yeah, the technocrats are taking over. The Orwellian sort of nightmare seems to be coming. Uh, it's rearing its ugly head. And so in the finality, by the way, so we're going to wrap up, but I, what, what, how do we fix it? Uh, in other words, you know, there is the, the element of um, being faithful uh, to the vision of the founders and keeping and strengthening the things, the foundations that remain. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we could all admit to say, wow, there's a lot of things that have been dismantled over time. Yeah. But wherein lies the opportunity for Christians, the hopeful vision 
a constructive way forward, how should the church uh, and, and, and uh, individual Christians, how should we respond to these threats? Well, it all takes courage, and everyone is expected by God, commanded by God, to, to be of good courage, not to shrink from conflict. Now, this doesn't mean that everybody's going to be a Wilberforce or a Bonhoeffer, but the point is everyone who knows the truth has to, has to speak the truth and has to say, excuse me, I don't know about that. That seems wrong to me. If you're in a corporate situation and you're being forced to do something that makes you uncomfortable, if you don't speak up, if you don't risk losing your job, you're not trusting God, number one, big mistake, because God can be trusted and he will be with you. But if you don't do that, he won't be with you. And you now have become a part of the problem. If you want to know how Germany went down the path to the, the concentration camps, to the death camps or whatever, you know, what, do you, what are you supposed to say? I mean, I'm half German. Are you supposed to say, well, Germans are just unique idiots. That's a racist mm -hmm. comment, right? Mm -hmm. That's no different than saying the, the Jews are bad. It, you have to understand that if we're all created equally in God's image, it has nothing to do with what tribe you're from. It has to do with how do you respond. And the Germans, the German church specifically, I mean, I tell the story in my Bonhoeffer book, which is suddenly 10th anniversary of that book. But I mean, that's the story of the church being exhorted by Bonhoeffer to stand and do the right thing. Mm. If they had done it, if the church had been willing to risk whatever you risk when you say the right thing, when other people are looking at you like, what's the matter with you? Right. How, how come you're not, you know, you know bad, but how you taking a knee or whatever, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. If the church isn't willing to do that, um, the church completely abdicates the very role for which it exists. Mm -hmm. And so we're living at that kind of, as I said, a cultural inflection point right now. I am hopeful. Mm -hmm. I, I think God called me to write my Bonhoeffer book on one level as a warning to the American church to say, this is exactly what will happen if you do not do the right thing, do the courageous thing, and trust me, there is no exception. That will happen it's up to you, it's up to the church. So uh, I would say to everybody in the church, uh, it, is, it is up to you. Pray that God would give you opportunities uh, to trust him. Mm. And if you don't trust him, then you know, what, what kind of faith do you have? I mean, we need, to, we need to ask ourselves, do we trust him? I'm here to say like, yes, he is totally trustworthy and you're a fool not to trust him, but he won't force you, it's up yeah. to you. I think R.C. Sproul once said, do you believe the God you say you believe in? And I think that's the challenge for most Christians is uh, trusting what he has said already in his word. Yes. Uh, amen. Hey, real quick, any projects coming up? Anything we should know about? A lot of projects. Um, the, um, I've written uh, a literary memoir mm. of the first 20 years, five years of my life that ends with my miraculous conversion. That's coming out uh, in the spring. I am very excited about that. Awesome. In a way, as an evangelistic tool, because it's not a very religious book until you get to the end, but I, I'm excited to tell how God got to me, basically, mm. who was not that interested, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I'm filming a documentary in Greece in a couple of yeah. weeks about the discovery of the, the tomb of, of Odysseus. Wild, crazy, crazy story. Uh, and I'm working on a book called Is Atheism Dead, which will come out at the end of next year, 
which I'm really excited about. I like bringing, to play in words on that yeah, one. Yeah, oh yeah, bringing great. together all the arguments that in a way yeah. they're out there, but even most Christians are unaware of the outrageous evidence for God. I mean, it's open and shut and most people are not aware of it. I want to kind of bring some of that together. Fantastic. Well, uh, with the impeccable Eric Metaxas, uh, thank you so much for all you do and for all you mean to Liberty University and to the Falkirk Center and for being part of our, uh, our podcast today. Yeah, listen, it's my privilege and honor. Thank you, Ryan.